The Joe Mays and J-Rock Show is brought to you in part by Mays Sandwich Shop, serving delicious hometown favorites to the West Lawn community since 1947. listening to the Joe Mays and J-Rock Show, bringing you the latest news and commentary on baseball. The 0-2 pitch, swing and a miss, struck him out! The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball! Hockey. The Big Ten Championship lies on a measurement. Did he get it? No! He didn't get it! Penn State holds! They brought back the fun, they brought back the excitement, and now they brought back a Big Ten Championship. The Penn State Nittany Lions are Big Ten Champions. And the NFL. He's in! Patriots win the Super Bowl! Brady has his fifth. What a comeback. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Justin Rappa. So, new intro again, just a few weeks later. Yeah, not a fan. This one, not, not as awesome as the last one. No. I mean, it's still cool to have the Penn State Big Ten title call in there. Yeah, I say maybe we just cut it off there. Maybe go right. back, still say the Denver Broncos are the, are the Super Bowl champs. Yeah, you know, in my in my mind, they still are. Skip Super Bowl 51. Yeah. Exactly. We actually already have a question about Super Bowl 52 coming up. <clears throat> I, I saw, so that. We'll, we'll, I saw ad- that. We'll address that on this episode of the show. But welcome, everyone, to episode 223 of the Joe Mays and J-Raff show. And it's a very special episode because, well, we're celebrating six years of doing this uh, little show here, which is kind of incredible when you think about it. I mean... When we started this back in 2011, I don't know that any of us had any idea of where this was going to go or how long it was going to last. No. So I can't say, oh, we totally expected to be here or we didn't expect to be here. I kind of thought we'd make a big enough fool of ourselves the first month or so that we probably would just stop. But That may have been true and probably was true. But except for the stopping part. <laughs> right. <laughs> we didn't stop. We just <laughs> kept going. And uh, despite some hiccups along the way, especially over the last year with uh, my health and some scheduling along the way. Yeah, way to go. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I totally wanted my body to revolt against me and create a, a monster yeah. that could just uh, sit your on body, the couch. Your body, your body became number one enemy of the show. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Show enemy number one. Mm-hmm. So, um, but here we are, 223 episodes in and have had some... Really fun and exciting shows over the last six years. Probably none other, none greater than what we did for episode 100 in the summer of 2013, where we had a live show at the West Lawn United Methodist Church, and we welcomed in uh, Chad Henney to talk uh, to us about, uh, you know, college football, professional football, and uh, answer questions from the crowd. You know, we had 40 to 50 people there. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we'd like to do something again, you know, in the future, but, you know. That's that's in the future. Yeah, that's a problem for future. Yeah, that's, that's future. You know, we don't have to worry about that now. So we're just going to focus on what's happening 
here and now, and that is a listener's special, which we haven't done in a while. We we used to do these a lot. The first couple of years, I think we did them, you know, probably once every other month or so. Yeah. And it was a fun way to interact with the people that were listening to us, whether it's live uh, now on Facebook or as a podcast after the fact through iTunes or SoundCloud. But if you have a question for us, there's ways for you to get in contact with us. And actually, we're going to throw that up for you right now. And a lot of people took advantage of this, most notably uh, emails. And, you know, if, if you're, you know us, you can send us text to our personal cell phones. But there's other way to get in contact with us, such as Facebook and Twitter. We're active on both those social sites. And there's also the May Sandwich Shop hotline, which you can call us at 530-563-6297. Again, the May Sandwich Shop hotline is 530-563-6297. But again, the most popular way really is email. And the May Sandwich Shop email inbox actually has two emails tonight that we're going to go over. and. Probably not going to be much of a surprise who took advantage of the email way to contact us because generally speaking, especially during football season, he contacts us contacts us nearly every week. Yeah, some sometimes I think he, you know, just, you know, those, those New England people sometimes, you know, have a little bit, maybe guilty conscience isn't the right word, but... uh you know, they just feel like everybody's out to get them, and and they like to point it out um, when when that's not when that that maybe that isn't the case. I'm not saying that's what happens here with with our with our typical emailer from uh, New England, but no, no, you wouldn't. You say know, that. no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not just, at all. If you're saying it, that's fine. But um, yeah, so we we got a couple emails uh, from our uh, resident Patriots fan uh, in the in the show. So, um, you know, I. <clears throat> Maybe he's complaining about more cold weather, which he's not, which he's not part of. Yeah, but, so the, uh, we'll, we'll see. The first questions are <laughs> going to come from Rich in Massachusetts, or should we say, Rich in Florida? Right. See, now I I know, like I've probably already said enough that is going to warrant an email for next week's show. Yeah, and and we right. should take this time to one say, um, happy birthday to Rich. It was right. this past week, right after Valentine's Day, and uh, also this month, um, the sponsor. My employer, May Sandwich Shop, is now embarking on our 71st year in business. We've reached our 70th anniversary. Uh, Five years ago, we had a huge sale where we sold sandwiches for 65 cents Mm -hmm. for a day. And now, five years later, we're up to 70. If people asked if we were doing anything special this year. It's like, that's that's kind of a... Like, yes, yeah, $7 sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a once-in-a-decade thing. So we've talked about doing maybe sandwiches for $0.75, cents, but you got to wait till 2022 for that. All right. I mean, so, I'm Mark it on the calendar now. Mid-February 2022, $0.75 cents subs at Mays. I'm going to start camping out in january <laughs> so get, the, get that spot in line. That's right. So, yeah, happy for birthday. plane turkey. <laughs> Uh, that probably would be a premium, yeah, just yeah. because of who's buying it. Exactly, convenience fee. No work. <laughs> Seventy-five you, cents, four dollar. As you call it, the inconvenience fee. Yes. Right. So, happy birthday to my uncle Rich, Rich from Massachusetts, who is celebrating after the Patriots Super Bowl fifty-one victory. I'm sure he'll have nothing to say about that in these emails. Yeah, I, somehow. <laughs> 
Yeah. The first one actually comes to us just, yeah. uh, you know, not even a full week after he goes the all, victory. He goes all presidential in the title with, you know, caps locks all on. Like. Yes. Yeah, he's ready to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I, Just to be clear, I would too. Like, Oh, yeah, right. See, that's the thing. We've never been in this, this situation. Right. Just to be clear, I would email not just people I know doing podcasts. I would email everyone I know with, with just celebrating Eagles victories, but... I might I might resort to that even if it's not Super Bowl victories just because you know you gotta take what you can get I guess but. true 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 for sure so Rich's first email comes to us um, over a week ago but after the Super Bowl he says it's me from the home of the five time Super Bowl champions who's currently enjoying the warmth of Florida just another reason to hate me now I know you will say that the Falcons lost the Super Bowl and not that the Patriots won it now to a certain extent I may agree but we still had Brady the GOAT and the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick, to bring us back to tie and then win the game. Atlanta was just too tired to stop us. Should Atlanta have run the ball three times and kicked the field goal? Most likely, but they didn't. Should the Seahawks have run the ball two years ago with Marshawn Lynch? Yes, but they didn't. Should Wes Welker have caught the pass in Super Bowl? I can't do Roman numerals that quickly. In 2011 to keep the drive going and preserve our win? Yes, but he didn't. And the one that really bothers me, should David Tyree have caught the pass from Eli Manning in Super Bowl 40? No, that's not right. 42 in 2007? No, but he did. A win is a win. And one more thing that really upset everyone, the Patriots early favorites to win the Super Bowl next season. Okay, so let's put Spygate, Deflategate, and all the other gates to bed and just get ready for the draft and next football season. But before that, it is time for some baseball talk. Go Phillies and Red Sox. Once again, keep up the good work and tell your dad I like hamburger and onion on my pizza. <laughs> yes, uh, I completely blame the Falcons' collapse on my dad because during the Super Bowl when the Patriots were flailing and the Falcons were imposing their will on them, my dad texted my uncle what he liked on his pizza because they made a bet. Why would he do that? I know. Why would he do that? Why would you do that? That's clearly why it happened. So clearly, he is the reason. So now people in Atlanta are going to be out for him. I don't. I don't really have too much of a rebuttal, at least against what he has to say. Um, probably the thing that I agree most about is a win is a win. It doesn't matter how it comes. If it happened, it happened. You can right. second guess yourself, your opponent, but in the end. Whatever the scoreboard scoreboard said when the time hit zero, I think more impressive when it, when they were up when up twenty five or down twenty five, however you want to look at it. I think what impresses me more isn't that the Patriots got to greater than twenty eight points. That really doesn't surprise me in the grand scheme of things. Even if you told me they were held to three in the first half, what does surprise me is that they didn't give up any more. You know, like that's the key because. Even if they make that run, if they give up the field goal, like it doesn't even matter. Not that it doesn't matter, but in the grand scheme of things, it wouldn't matter. You know, like it it was just complete switch of, um, you know, kind of the roles. And it was pretty amazing. You know, as much as I don't like to admit it, like you can't, it's really kind of really, really difficult to try and make an argument against Tom Brady. Um, Bill Belichick, I, don't know how you'd make an argument against him either. Both incredible. Uh, to kind of expand on the the middle of the email where he was talking about some of the crazy plays, either kind of both ways for the Patriots. I love that kind of that discussion when you talk about the Patriots are incredibly close to being seven and zero in these 
uh, in the this run of they're also Super close Bowls. to being they're three and very four. close to being zero and seven. Like true, yeah. You know, yeah. Like you now zero and seven may be a stretch, but maybe one and six or two and five, like definitely not a, that big of a stretch. So like that that aside, well, I, I, it's I mean, incredible how good their games have been because they all haven't been that great lately. They've been a little bit better, minus the. Uh, you know, the Seattle over Denver game, which was just kind of a route. But, um, you know, what happened to me, like, after the game, while I really wanted Atlanta to win, like, when the game was over, I wasn't even, like, as mad as I thought I would be. And I think some of that is because, like, this is one of those things where as much as I don't like Tom Brady, I don't like the Patriots, they're going to talk about this game forever. Right. And, like, I watched it. You know, I, I saw this happen. For how long in our life were those games that they talked about, these historic games, games that happened before we were born? You know what I mean? Now, I, I realize we're getting older, so that, you know, that uh, ratio of games that happened during our lifetime is changing. But this is one of those games that will literally be talked about for the rest of the NFL history. And, you know, we were well aware of it. You know, not just like, oh, I remember that when I was a kid. Like, we'll remember this one. I, I, I do want to I want to jump in and just bring up the thing about the points that you said, because I heard this said on I don't know if it was on a radio or on a podcast sent out on Twitter or Facebook, but it was something about, you know, if you score more than 28 points, you're going to beat the Patriots because in the Super Bowl, they haven't scored more than 20. And I immediately was like, that's BS. They scored 32 against the Panthers. Yeah. Like, I like not that that proves anything one way or another. I just I don't like when simple facts like that are right. are incorrect. But I don't and I wanted to respond to this person or, or whatever it was, whatever media entity it, it, it was. But I couldn't at the time I, I was like driving or something and right. I couldn't. But I was I'm pretty sure they've scored more than 28 points in the Super Bowl before beating the Falcons. Right. You know, because they're saying they want to go back to the point that actually Rich brought up and saying run the ball three times, take three and they are they have 31 which other than one Super Bowl prior to Super Bowl 51, the Patriots only got to once. But whoever was sending this fake facts out, alternative facts, was was wrong. Because I, I was like, no, I know. Like, I thought I actually thought the the Super Bowl against the Panthers was 34-31. But I was wrong, I was wrong about that. It was 32-29. But which I knew the Patriots. Which is an odd score. It is an odd yeah. score. But it would, and it was like, really, wasn't it like 7-6 at halftime or something yeah, like that? Yeah, thanks, John Case, for kicking that out of bounds. That's wonderful. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah. Um, but that one in February 2004, also, I believe, in Houston, right? Yeah, at Reliant, uh, the year of the Janet Jackson-Justin Timberlake incident. Well, yeah. If anyone remembers that um, from 13 years ago. So, but yeah, so first email, of course, from Rich about the Patriots. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, we both picked the Falcons to win. We were both feeling pretty good after the first two and a half quarters, maybe even all th- all of the first three. Although I started to get a little antsy when uh, they were, you know, getting too conservative and overprotective of, of of their execution. Right. I was like, you can't do this to this team. Like we've seen this yep. team before come back, continue to play their game, not you know get thrown off, and well. The worst thing that could possibly happen in the entire world occurred. And nothing is worse. I think I sent it to the group. Like when it was happening. That was a pretty epic group chat. And I. (laughs) Everyone was just just pretty much screaming. Like when they went up big, 
I remember saying, I think I sent this to this group. I feel like this is just the Patriots setting us up to really poop on our hearts. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. I. But, so we have another email. Also from Rich in, I don't know, is it Florida now? I'm, I'm so confused. I yeah, don't, I don't know. How long do you have to live in a place for it to become your de facto hometown? Yeah. So, you know what? We're just going to start counting him as a Jacksonville fan. Or yeah, maybe a Tampa right. Bay fan. I don't know. Um, based on location, I don't I, know where. No, I'd probably say Tampa's had more success. I'd rather give him Jacksonville. That's fine. I'm on board with kind that. Kind of so. offset, offset right. with the Patriots. There you go. All right. So Rich writes in, and this was actually just today, just a few hours ago. Uh, so Rich says, congratulations on your sixth year. May you have at least six more. That That is that is the goal, yes. He said, I saw your friend Chad Henney resign with the Jaguars, with Blake Bortles looking as the main man there, who didn't have a great season last year, and with a new coaching staff, who knows what could happen. Some questions for you. After watching the movie Concussion, and maybe you already talked about this, what is your feeling about allowing your kids playing football? Now, Joey has two girls, and who knows, they could be playing at some time is enough being done to protect everyone i'm going to go through them all and then we'll come back okay where do you go to get your information to do your show like do you listen to espn nfl network or maybe fox sports and which one of these networks or jobs would you jump at if it became available espn i didn't read the second part of that question espn seems to be in the middle of a layoff and last come on justin sing just a little for me may i suggest maybe a song by queen maybe we are the champions once again, keep up the good work. I love your show, even when we disagree, which is most of the time. Pat's fan in Florida, Rich. All right. So wh- where do you want to start with that? Um, um, you know, I'll start with the singing because that's just not going to happen. So uh, maybe on, uh, is it Nat Chats with Dad? Is that? Oh um, uh, Yeah, and actually I think we might be having one of those okay. tomorrow. With Nat Chats so... with Dad, maybe we can cover that. I don't know that that's on Natalie's preferred playlist but um i'll leave that up to you guys to kind of kind of decide um if she wants to all the more power to her i know she has the new england teddy bear maybe that's maybe that is in her uh in her ability now or maybe she wants to maybe she's going to be a patriots fan i don't know i don't know she starts wearing five rings you know and a tom brady jersey Go ahead. I'm not. I'm not doing it. I, I have to end it quickly because they'll stop us. So. Yes. So before they kick us off the air, um, I better not go into that territory because, as uh, Natalie found out quickly, uh, they don't. They don't look upon that um, in the same fashion everyone else would. Oh, oh okay. Uh, yeah, we were we were taken down <laughs> almost like within I don't know thirty seconds of playing. Uh, I believe for um, Let It Go. I think oh. I think she was dancing to Let It. Go. No, no, it was a Taylor Swift song. Uh, okay. Shake it off. She was dancing to shake it off, and all of a sudden the feet ended. And yeah, it is what it is. We could yeah. talk about draconian <laughs> copyright laws if we really wanted to, uh, but no, let's talk about football. So you're not going to sing. That's all right. No, you know, we'll move on. Right. Um, why don't we go with the concussion one, yeah. and then we'll finish with the the fun one, talking about um sports jobs. So I haven't seen concussion, but there was a reason I didn't see concussion because I was boycotting seeing concussion. And I know my uncle right and my dad both. Well, no, that's just to piss Greg <laughs> off. So um, I, I didn't want to see concussion because I didn't like I thought it was painting everything in incredibly bad light. I thought they were taking everything that was being thrown at the NFL and focusing only on one aspect of the entire thing. Obviously, head trauma and and injuries like concussions 
are incredibly impactful and an incredibly negative light painted on football and the NFL, but no focus whatsoever has been done by Hollywood or the mainstream media of the pre- preventative actions taken, not so much by the NFL, which they have done many as well, but throughout the ranks of football from you know the next step down in college to high school and even down to where I'm at and below us into the, the peewee football, uh, the requirements or the restrictions on the types of drills you can do, the equipment advances, which are night and day compared to they were even 20 years ago and talk about, you know, 40, 50 years ago and it's, you're not even in the same ballpark. So I don't want to have anything to do with concussion. I was extremely pleased when it completely flopped at the box office. Uh, I, I just I don't like that negative stuff being out there because, yeah, there are issues, but every sport, every career has issues to it, some more dangerous than others. But I think. So much is made and embellished by the few bad cases that have been reported that it overtakes the number of people that have played this game and have been fine. Uh, And I'm not not trying to diminish it. I know that there's an issue and we take precautions different from even when I started coaching, you know, eight, nine years ago. We practice different now than we did just five, six years ago. Certain drills have become a no-no because you're trying to reduce the amount of impactful hits to the head and neck region you know people might say that this is a more long-term thing but that's the thing because that those studies are kind of just getting underway we won't know about it for 5 10 15 20 years you know we, we, the big thing is cte that that tra- traumatic brain injuries and they're right now they're not diagnosed until the person has passed away and you examine the brain so studies like that are going to take more time Obviously, more research, more funding, more preventive measures are needed. Um, if I had a child that wanted to play football, you know, it's tough for girls to play peewee football. It doesn't happen that often. If Natalie or Haley would want to, I'm sure Kelly and I would have to talk about that. I'm sure Kelly wouldn't want them to do it. I wouldn't have a problem with them playing because I know what's going on in, in the industry, even at that lower level, that I think they'd be okay if that's something they want to do. I don't expect either of them to want to do that, and I'm not going to push for either of them to do that. Um, but I would be okay with them at least trying it out. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm kind of in the same thing with, with the movie. I, I didn't see it. Um, I know kind of the movie itself is kind of in an interesting spot because I think the story, like the actual story, not the movie, but the actual story isn't necessarily um you know a, a bad thing you know as as the guy and i got to work a little bit in some of the upmc stuff when i was out there in the same facilities not in these programs but in the same facilities where some of these things were were uh where some of the doctors from these things were were taking part in this and um like i i think you know that story of basically concussion research and how far along that has come is, is a good thing to kind of talk about. Like you said, though, that's not really the angle that was taken by the movie. The angle that was taken by the movie is the NFL trying to suppress all of this information. That stuff like, you know, that's, I don't know. I don't know that the movie screen is the best place to try and show how that actually played out. Cause you're making a lot of assumptions and all of that stuff. Well, you heard a lot but, about it leading up to it, but then when it came to it, like other than my dad and my uncle mentioning it to me, right. like I haven't heard anything about it. Right. 
As for uh, would I let my son play football, um, I I certainly think I would let him. Um, you know, I it's one of those things where. I do feel like, like you said, if you look at how things have changed since we were in high school, all right, and the guys our age are now veterans in the NFL, right? So um, if you look at that, like we don't know how the things that have changed since we've even been in high school, you know, and that's drastic changes, how that will impact future results. You know, like I I don't know. Um, So I'm interested to see how that goes. I do think like if that was um if it if like they see that like there's no real reduction, you know, that all, we've done all these things and it's still pretty much the same or you know, getting worse or something, that that could be a long-term problem for the NFL. Um but as for letting Austin play, I think if he wants to play, I certainly would let him. Um you know, if and honestly, it might even come like after that first concussion, depending on how that, you know, how that is and how that's handled. There might be some difficult discussions and, and decisions that have to be made then, you know, because let's face it, he's, you know, I hope, I hope whatever he chooses that he gets to have fun and, you know, can play it as long as he possibly can. But he's not really hitting the gene pool lottery with, with me, you know, to like, to like make a career out of football. You know what I mean? Like, that's not to say he can't learn life lessons out of football, you know, that could help him uh, a long way. But um, one thing that I that I am interested in, like, and I, I don't know enough about what this would happen because we've talked about some of the effects of this. But I'm intrigued at, like, as, like, flag football at the younger ages, like, increases, like, delaying the offset of the hitting yeah. can be a real positive because you're reducing the number of hits. You know, that's that's a positive. However, there comes a time, and I don't know if we've really zeroed in on this time frame of when is the right time to start learning the proper way to tackle and to yeah. hit and all those things so that you are hitting with less of a chance of something drastically bad like a concussion happening. You know, like, I don't know. Uh, you know, is yeah. that is that like, you know, middle elementary school or is that like closer to right before junior high? Like, I don't know. I'm interested to see how that goes because obviously – if you can kind of get the best of both worlds, delay it, but not delay it so far that it's sloppy on the tackling right. end and it makes it actually worse. Yeah. Cause you I, can, I don't know, but like, yeah, that's something that I find intriguing anyway, especially when you have the kids like that are running around that are so little that they, they, the helmet like weighs their head down, right. you know, and they can't even like keep their head up. Well, I have a hard time believing that that's helpful, you know, like at that really little age. I don't know though. I, I don't know. The the thing that I scratch my head, I've heard about that too, and and that's something on the table. But that's the the interesting question is when is the right age? Like, do you say it's who we coach? Right. Is it you know thirteen year olds when you're thing, in like seventh grade? The tough thing is I don't think it's putting an age on it isn't the right answer. Is that'll be the answer we get originally? Well, it's like, the that's only gonna, way to get everyone right, in the same. But it's not gonna that like physiologically that's not the way it should be done because you look at kids like i i teach talking about physical development i look at high school kids there are some kids that you could put into a junior high and they wouldn't stick out at all and there's some kids you could put in the workplace tomorrow and they wouldn't stick out at all (laughs) like it's just unbelievable like the variety like so there are some kids who are probably more prepared for that type of thing than others and it's not i mean it's obviously tied to age but it's not the same for everybody 
But that's not how it works, and we know that's not how it works. They'll be like, you know, you're going to play this up through fifth grade or whatever. You know, like, I, I don't know, but... The thing that I laugh the most about or actually probably makes me want to cry more is the politicians who want to enact laws. Because if there's any way to get stuff done, it's to let politicians do something that they know nothing about. Well, that's pretty much how everything, quote unquote, gets, gets done. done. Right. <laughs> you mean all that, that all that political BS and the red red tape. Now we're yeah, now we're venturing into Joey's hot zone right here. Something that takes 12 years that I could get done in six months. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I'm sure that'll come up a lot because I've already heard about these proposals. And, and I, I don't, when I say politicians, I don't necessarily mean like the U.S. Senate. I, it could be low level, too. They're all politicians. Right, right. They all want to, you know, get their name out there and try to get stuff done. Right. But the way they get stuff done is pretty much never right. right. So I, when I look at it, I think we need as much concussion research as we can possibly get. Oh, yeah. I'm all about – you know how much right. I love statistics right. and information. And and I, we're entering ages where we're just getting more and more and more. And I think that's going to be nothing but good for football because it it allows them to address the hard questions of well, – And it can help them exonerate what, themselves in the sport right. if stuff comes back and say – these people are exceptions, not not the mean, you know, right. not the average. Right. This is not the normal. Right. That you know, at times it seems like people are making it out to be. Right. So, I think it's a step in the right direction. Um, movies like Concussion, while I understand what they were trying to do, I don't know that that necessarily actually helps anything. Um, so, whatever. But um, yeah, as for now, I I think I would let Austin play. Uh, but like I said, the first time that comes up, hopefully it wouldn't be a long lasting thing, but you know, honestly, after that first one, depending on when it happened, I, I might, I'd love to say, I'd just let it kind of play its course, but I don't know that I would, I, it would depend on that actual situation. So now to the more lighthearted. Yeah. Let's get a little bit more. Um, and honestly, maybe the harder question. <laughs> so he asked where we get our information. Honestly, I get most of my information from uh, team-specific sites or league sites rather than the mainstream sports media. Or if I get it from those types of sports, things he mentioned, ESPN, NFL Network, Fox Sports, uh, CBS, you know, any of those right. basically broadcast network with sports attached to it. Right. I don't get it from the main entity. I get it from someone that may work for them. Right. But like I do limit myself on the number right. of those people I follow to because since November 2011, I really reeled back the yeah. amount of sports coverage that I partake in. Uh, he asked about, um, I think he, did he say listening to radio somewhere? Maybe, maybe just, yeah, no. listen to who do you like to listen to? Who do you like to, to yep. listen to? Yeah. Uh, I used to watch every day. ESPN radio on 12:40 a.m. here in the Reading Market from essentially Which nine CBS ten radio and it's not the best mm -mm. nine ten in the morning until like one in the afternoon while I was working and you know I so I listened to the end of Mike and Mike I listened to all of Colin Coward and then I, in the afternoon sometimes I get to listen to uh, SVP and Rosillo so that was like my go to right, right there but when the Penn State stuff happened November 2011. Like, I just couldn't. Like, it just no, I, couldn't I happen. It. And we've addressed that on the show multiple right. times. So my awareness of sports comes more from fans and selected professionals <laughs> in the industry, uh, even more so blogs and podcasts that may regurgitate the mainstream stuff to me, but in a way that isn't massively opinionated or a hack job. Right. So... 
back in the day, ESPN was my number one. They were my number one for a good like two decades. Like when I got into sports up until the Penn State stuff from like the nineties, they were the source. For right. It. Well, they became what the way that we all these other networks he has sports. listed are only exist because ESPN existed. Right. Like, right. And and I've mentioned this before, and I think did I give it to you? Or are you waiting yeah, to get I, it? I still you have still it. have it. Yeah, <laughs> those guys have. I think it's those, those guys, guys have, have all, all the fun. fun. Yep. And it's a look at ESPN um, through the first what was it first thirty five years? I, I think, think so. Yeah, th- first thirty five years. And it talks about how ESPN came to be it's and the progression crazy to become stories. a huge cable entity. Uh, getting the most per subscriber, uh, all those negotiations, and then the big time players that we're just seeing the leave ESPN now—it's—it's um, it's an interesting read. It doesn't paint anyone in a very good light, really. No, but and it's not necessarily like singling ESPN. It's kind of like how different they were than some from some of the other networks. But all these people came from other networks. Like, anytime you can take a shot at Keith Olbermann or make him look like a douchebag, <laughs> I'm all about it. So I was very happy with the book. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, so let's, for my information, it kind of depends on what we're actually talking about. If we're talking about like the teams I am a fan of, I probably get my stuff from more of those team related sites or, um, specific things. So like Penn state, I really like like black shoe diaries. Oh yeah. Um, I love black and, shoe diaries. and they do a good job. I know they're in with like SB nation. Like they will send you out to other sites mm-hmm. for other things, which I really, I really like that. Um, because they have other like sister sites well, or whatever they have, you want to call for all these things. Opinion pieces, original re- opinion pieces, original research, links to mainstream media. Right, like it's it's they, a great kind of middle road, right. and it's all based around the teams that I care a lot about. So yeah. I, that's really good for me for like Penn State coverage, um, and there are other sites too that I go to for that. But if I'm looking at like something like in general, like you know, I still go to ESPN more than I go to like Fox sports or, or Yahoo or anything like that. I go to ESPN and like you said, I'll kind of find a story and then I may like kind of find my way to other stories about that topic or, you know, other writers or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's for more like the general stuff. When I'm looking for more of like team specific things, I use more sites that were a collection of sites that deal with like team or city specific things. Um, if I had to pick a network job, I honestly, I used to think it would be ESPN. That's what it used to be for me. Clear. I mean, and, it, and aside from like some of the disagreements I have, like I just think like I think that's more of a TV job than it is a, a sports job, or more of a rate. You know, like I think there's more on the business side of that than I really realize. And not that there isn't for the other ones, but just like I'm more aware of it. You know what I mean? Like. I think something like NFL Network NFL or, Network is for, the honestly, one for me, for me MLB Network, I think would also be really fun. Aside from, it would be really cool to work for, like, the Phillies radio station. You know, yeah. like, now, like, it's a different level, I understand, but, like, homerism is, like, accepted then. You know, like, <laughs> you can you can just straight up be like, I'm rooting for the Phillies, you know, like, that kind of thing. That would be kind of cool, but, like, NFL Network would be really cool. Um, yeah, if I'm picking a big national sports network, I'm going NFL network. If I'm picking a professional team position, Phillies radio would be really cool. Like that's a, yeah. like, I love the dolphins, but I don't have a connection to them being up here. Right. And I'm, I love the flyers too. So something with the flyers, like, you know, yeah. working with no, those I, guys, you know, Barkan and Bork and, 
um, yeah. than the broadcast guys, which also overlaps with the Phillies. Um, but the Phillies radio would be really cool, uh, or Phillies media in general. It doesn't have yeah. to be radio, but the radio guys, uh, I know, are, are loved, especially um, with uh, after Cal's passed away nearly, what, jeez, oh my gosh, it's eight years ago, ago now, yeah. uh, nearly eight years ago. Um, but yeah, Phillies, a media Phillies radio would be cool. Uh, and then uh, he he says, if there was a sports job, I think working with Penn State football would be really fun. Like watching, be... following them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, seeing everything they do, the hype surrounding signing day. Right. right. I think, uh, you know, Penn State football. Phillies baseball, NFL Being network. Like one those of the recruiting like my, directors. Oh yeah, <laughs> one of those. Well, like um, Temple just hired that swag position, yeah. and I forget what the S stands for now, but it's something with advanced graphics. Like he's basically just like a, for lack of a better term, like a a meme guy, like right. and and he, and you know killer graphics person who just works in this digital realm. It just sounds like a really cool position. So, Penn State football, Phillies baseball. NFL Network to get an all of pro football. I think those would be my three. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. Don't, don't get me wrong. If ESPN came knocking, I'd, <laughs> I'd jump on it the first chance I got. Right. All right. Yeah. So thanks to uh, Rich in Florida for uh, those emails. Hopefully, we answered his questions. If any more come up, you know where to find us. Uh, in response to that, my dad would like to let Rich know that he needs to collect his pizza by March thirty first. Uh, he also <sighs> says that the major problem that rich has is he was hit too many times in the head in high school during football. So, um, you know, my dad, dad, your dad should go and like Yelp and look up the worst reviewed pizza places in whatever (laughs) place Florida is and just order it. Here you go. Yeah. Can you put some raw hamburger and, and, uh, and burnt (laughs) onion on this? Don't cook it. All right. So actually speaking of my dad and giving my uncle hard time, we're going to move on to his questions here. We're going to have to run through these pretty quickly because he has three and your dad has three. So we have a lot and they're kind of varied and interesting. So we want to hop on those uh, here now. The first one um, is from my dad. And we actually we reached out to a specialist to answer this first question. Yeah. Um, So. But his question is, why are the Cowboys going to to be Super Bowl 52 champs? So let me pull up the interview. Okay. All right. So here we are. We pulled in a ringer here, and we'd like to ask you, why are the Cowboys going to be Super Bowl 52 champs? I don't. That's not a very ringing endorsement. Yeah, I don't I don't think they have any any words for why they think that's going to happen. So, um Yeah. It, it doesn't look good for the Cowboys. No, you heard Rich earlier the Patriots are going to win it, right? That's... Well, they they're certainly the favorites in the yeah. AFC. Now, why are the Cowboys legitimately I don't know if I would say that their favorites are going to win. Obviously, he's just trying to get probably you going on that because obviously the I wish I connection. I wish I could be bad at that, but um, you look at it. Uh, he brings up they do have Dak and Zeke that are back. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can do as well in year two as they did in year one. Uh, one of the things that'll be tough, I think, is overall the the Cowboys were incredibly healthy, specifically on the offensive side. I know uh, Dez was out for a long period of time, but offensive line they had a lot of health there. Um, it'll be interesting to kind of see how that how that plays out. Um, 
because it's rare to you see long continued streaks of that over multiple seasons. Yeah, that um, usually they usually come crashing down and you come back to earth. Right. Now they finished they were 13 and 3, right? Now the one loss to the Eagles at the end of the year probably doesn't definitely really counts. Count. It dude, it put the the feeling of losing in their brains and that's what happened. That's why they lost. So, 14 and 2. They lost to the Giants though twice and are the Giants going to go away? Are they going to get any better? Or are they going to get any worse? So I, don't... I think one of the main things, one of the things against the Cowboys is their schedule in 2017. Now, we don't know when or where they're happening, you know, as the calendar progresses. But we do know that the Cowboys will be hosting, obviously, the Giants, Eagles, and Redskins at home. Also, will play on the road. Then the Cowboys host the Rams. Not a big deal. But probably better than last year, right? So they host both LA teams. And who is it? Washington, I think, or maybe it's Eagles. I think have to go to both LA teams. That that makes most sense. But so besides playing your three, you know, interdivisional rivalries, which are always heated and always intense, and the Giants were a great team this year. The Eagles had their moments, and the Redskins were were in it till till the end, competing for a wild card spot. Rams and Chargers, who knows what to expect? But they also have the Seahawks, Chiefs, and Packers at home. Yeah, yeah. all playoff teams, all at times didn't play as well as they probably should have been right. playing. And then on the road, the Cowboys have to go to Arizona. Was this a hiccup for them? Are they going to bounce back? San Francisco, probably not a big deal. But then Denver, Oakland, and Atlanta, they have to go on the road and play those three teams. Denver just missed the playoffs, has a stellar defense, and a uh, new regime there taking over. If they fix the quarterback position, they'll be a much better team. How crazy would it be if Tony Romo goes there? Hey, there you go. The Raiders, playoff team, had some bad luck because of Derek Carr's injury. And Atlanta, who probably should have, could have, would have been the Super Bowl champions, had one thing gone their way in the last quarter. Yeah. So I think the biggest reason the Cowboys are going to have a huge problem getting to Super Bowl 52 is their regular season schedule isn't going to set up as well or as nicely maybe as this year's did. Right. And not to say they won't make the playoffs, but it it would be tough to be the one seed with that schedule. You know, it would it would be tough. Right. To so they were officially 13, 13 and 3. Wins. Right. You know, the Eagles win or loss, notwithstanding. Knocked them off path. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's all downhill from there for them, right? You know, with this schedule, without knowing what's going to happen in free agency in the draft, you mentioned the health thing already. I, I would still probably think it's tough for me even to say they win a the division, though, without what the Giants did. Yeah. And what could the Giants do? There's rumblings about Peterson ending up there. Now, people would say, well, he's had an injury history. He's at the end of his career, whatever. He's still a big name. Maybe there's something left in the tank. He didn't get much wear this year. So because of the Giants being in the division (laughs) and an improving, likely improving Eagles squad, and even if the Redskins hold steady, those aren't easy wins. No. And then with those six other games we mentioned, Seattle, Kansas City, Green Bay at home, Denver, Oakland, Atlanta on the road, it's it's just going to be a tough uh, slate for Dallas to uh, duplicate the success they had this season. And then my other point about why I think the Cowboys could be in Super Bowl 52 or won't be in Super Bowl 52 comes down to Dak and Zeke. If they can play the way they did this year, they'll be in a great position to win the NFC East and be one of the top seeds in the NFC. However, if they have any kind of regression, even just a little bit, 
that's probably good for two to four more losses than what they had this year. Yeah. And all of a sudden you go from 13 and three to 11 and five or nine and seven, just because players in their second year in the league, people adjust to you. They know how to stop you. So it's going to come down to them and the offensive coordinator and positional coaches to figure out ways to take advantage of a new identity that they have to come up with as the season progresses, because now an entire off season of defensive coordinators and head coaches are going to have a way to figure out how to stop Dak and Zeke. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I think that's the biggest thing to watch is, is Dak and Zeke. Um, Obviously the two big, the big stars there. So I think it'll, you know, because the other things kind of play into that, like you mentioned. So if the line's healthy, everything's there for those guys to do to, you know, put up good numbers again. If that's the case, then the team will be successful. If you start to get injuries, that might be a problem, and you might see regression there like you talked about. All right, so the second question from my dad is about Penn State football, more specifically about recruiting. He wants to know how did Penn State fare in the 2017 cycle, and how are they looking for next year, 2018, already? In a word, and he says <laughs> they're ranked number one. So let's start at this year, the one that just closed about uh, two weeks ago or so, two to three weeks ago. The 2017 uh, recruiting class was a good one, another good one for Penn State. They've been trending upward. They finished uh, – now, this is all according to 247 Sports composite rankings. They finished 15th in the nation, third in the big behind Ohio State and Michigan. They had two top 100 commitments. They had four in the top 250. Eleven of them were four stars, and they had 21 overall. A solid class, you know, a top 15, not too much to complain about. Something that, you know, five, ten years ago, people would have been like, yes, sign us up for that. Yeah. But because they've seen Ohio State and now Michigan back in that cycle and what teams like uh, Wisconsin has done in the past, people are clamoring for more. The success of the SEC and, and now Clemson in recent years or Florida State, you got to be recruiting in the top five year in and year out to have a chance in a national championship. And the data shows this. I, I should have pulled up the story but as much as overhyped the star rankings can be sometimes, they pretty much nail it because yeah. I think if you look back on the four or five year average of the last like six national champions, they've all averaged inside the, I want to say top eight or nine. And most of them are usually between two and four yeah, or to one it, and five. To put it in perspective. Five out of the last six years, Alabama has had the number one recruiting class. The and they've country. won, what, three national championships? Right. And the only year they didn't have the number one recruiting class, Florida State had the number one recruiting class. And they've won a title. Yeah. Clemson is kind of the outlier, but they think their recruiting classes over the last four or five years is like eighth. Yeah. So And, and lately, like I think and they've now been they're top now five, even better. Right? Yeah, now they're up even higher. And, and they'll have good ones right. for years to come because of their success right. over the last few years. But Penn State is moving in the right direction. They yeah. got some help at some – needed areas which is even better um the the nice thing about the 2017 class is franklin got two big name prospects the the two guys in the top 100 were both pa guys western pa guys he said we've got to dominate the state when he was introduced in january 2014 he said we were going to dominate the state we're going to dominate this region and while the numbers haven't been huge in Pennsylvania, Delmarva. It's actually because they've grown outside right. of that region. We've seen guys coming in from Georgia, from Florida, from Texas, uh, from California. So 
Penn State as a brand and is growing nationally. Now, the last three years, the number one player in Pennsylvania has come to Penn State. You had um, uh, Saquon Barkley in three years ago. You had uh, Miles Sanders in last year. And then you had Lamont Wade this year. Right. C.J. Thorpe and Lamont Wade were two of the best Pennsylvania prospects. They both picked Penn State. Thorpe from Pittsburgh Central Catholic. If you listen to the Bulldog Hour, you're familiar with Pittsburgh Central Catholic. Offensive lineman. With C.J. Thorpe's dad played at Penn State, too. Quite possibly someone that could see time this year. Possible. Uh, And Lamont Wade expected to see time this year, even though Penn State's got a lot of young and talented players in the defensive backfield. Wade is probably too talented to keep and redshirt this year. Yeah. And then one of the other big names we want to mention from the 2017 class is quarterback Sean Clifford. He is a four-star player. And, you know, quarterback, it's a quarterback league. Anytime you can get a four-star or plus guy in a recruiting class, you want to mention it. So Sean Clifford, the next big guy coming to Penn State, he will almost certainly see a redshirt as yeah. a McSorley I believe has two more. I mean, he could leave after this coming year, I guess. Yeah, I don't but see I don't it see it happening. And then there's a, a talent behind him, so Clifford should be destined to be redshirted yes. in 2017. Now to 2018, like my dad mentioned, top ranked number one according to 247 Sports, and by a pretty large margin. <coughs> excuse me, margin as well. They are just on fire, and you know, Penn State. Community fans have taken notice. I don't know if anyone else will really care until we get farther into this. Most most teams have six to ten maybe commitments. Penn State's at the higher end of that. They're at eleven. A lot of the bigger name programs are collecting high fours or five star guys who tend to decide later in the process. That's why at the end of the day, you see teams like Alabama, Florida State, USC jump up. Well, on U- USC signing had- day. Had like five or six guys that weren't that didn't make their decision until signing day, all decided to go to USC. Right, like, they had a huge haul. Yeah. So, but so far so good for 2018. Yes. Yeah. Now there are some guys on there, you know, and I I feel like this is part of they talk about this a lot. The recruiting game has changed in the last five or six years at Penn State. It's not the same old recruiting that you used to have. And with that comes differences that we didn't used to have to deal with. You know, we didn't generally have a lot of guys that committed and then went somewhere else, you know, but that's part of the game as you get into these big time recruits, you know, a five-star just because they verbally commit to you doesn't mean the other coaches are going to stop calling. That's not how that works anymore. Right. So, you know, that's just part of the game. And I can't be that angry with it. Like it's disappointing when it happens, but I can't be that angry with it because we also get the other side of that. You know, Penn State has flipped some other commits. You know, so if I'm going to take them, I've got to be understanding that we're going to lose some as well, you know. Um, yeah, well, we, it happened in 2017, Dylan Rivers. Right. And then we ended up landing Ellis Brooks. Like, right. there's a give and take. They're not the same linebacker. They play the same position on paper and right. not the same type of player. Uh, you know, but you won't know what the trade-off was until three or four years down the road. Right. But yeah, recruiting has changed and Penn state is now in that game. They hadn't been in that game. Now they're in that O'Brien started the transition and Franklin finished it. And now Penn state is a, you know, we, we want to say a top 10 team in the nation right now. I'll settle for top 20 year in and year out in both final rankings and recruiting rankings. You know, every year, you know, we bump up a few spots, you know, next year, if, if they end up with a top five class, which is the hope, I don't expect them to finish number one. 
But if they finish in the top five, that'd be amazing. They're yeah. off to a great start. And just the comparison, I mean, everyone was hyped about the 2017 class being 15th and getting all those guys. Well, in 2018, first in the nation, obviously first in the Big Ten. They have, of all the prospects in the nation, they have one in the top five, two in the top 25, three in the top 50, five in the top 100, and six in the top 250. Now, this is what teams like Alabama, USC, right. Florida State get every year. Now, so if maybe it's yeah. not as exciting as we're making it out to be. But as a Penn State fan that's gone through uh, enough over the last 15 years, especially the last five or six, I, on and off the field, this is a big deal. I forget the exact number because Alabama is really weird with like gray shirts and stuff. You, right. you don't really know who all is coming in immediately and all that stuff. But I think Alabama had something like 21 commits, and every single one of them was ESPN Top 300. <laughs> like, it's absurd. Just absolutely absurd. So, two of them are five stars, six or four stars, 11 overall. Um, but the bigger thing is they've gotten the number one guy in positional rankings. They got the top overall athlete in Ricky Slade from Virginia. They got the top tight end in Zach Kuntz from Pennsylvania. Yeah, Camp Hill, right? Yeah, and they got the top weak side defensive end in Mika Parsons, who was at Central Dolphin, now at Harrisburg. Uh, he helped get Harrisburg to the 5A title game in Pennsylvania this year. He's one to watch, and he is the guy that's in the top five in the nation. He's right now fourth overall for all prospects in 2018. Another example of a guy who's taking calls from everybody, though. And oh yeah, I don't blame him. I mean, man, you're you're in high school, like that's that's what you do. Also, I believe I had I read that like his dad works for an airline. So because that works for an airline, he like, can pretty much go anywhere take, for he can take cost. visits pretty much anywhere because the airfare is not on the school. So where some guys can only take the five because they can only really afford the five where the school can actually help you pay for it, that's not as much of an issue there. Which, hey, that's fine. Like I get it. Like, you know, if I was in that position, I would want to take my visits. If you had to make a prediction, does Parsons end up at Penn no, State? I don't think, I don't he, think does. he does either. Uh, Two of the other big four stars coming to Penn State again. Quarterback, always a point of emphasis, even after getting Sean Clifford a, a nice four-star in 2017. They also secured the commitment of Justin Fields, dual-threat quarterback from Georgia. Just put up ridiculous high four-star this weekend. He, there's a chance, if things go his way in camps and his performance on the field as a senior this coming fall, he could crack five-star status, which would be quite the windfall for Penn State. The other one being... A wide receiver, Justin Shorter, you know, having quarterback wide receiver tandem coming together is always great. And Shorter is one of those uh, great prospects, um, part of the top 100 in the nation. So Slade, Kuntz, Parson, Fields, Shorter are some of the big names from 2018. So. Not as big on there, but I think Charlie Catcher is in that class. He though, is, right? yes. The Cumberland Valley um, linebacker, wide receiver, safety. You know, yeah. he's kind of just a, a jack-of-all-trades, incredible player. We saw him play Wilson in and the district championship this year. the difference he makes on a, on a game. Yeah. Like, he, um, he's, a, he's a talented player. He's he's one of three linebackers in the class uh, that they all recent, recently committed and improved that class, uh, the standings of that 2018 class. All right, so one of the questions from your dad and the final question from my dad was about the Phillies. What are our feelings on the Phillies in 2017? Are they going to be any better? And your dad said, where might we expect improvement? What are the areas most needing improvement? Well, let's answer those that second one first. Okay. What areas are most needing improvement? All of them. Right. 
They were just bad. Like, I know they didn't finish last in the division. It's kind of crazy. It's just kind of crazy. But they were awful in the major statistical. You know, ERA is the pitching stat that everyone looks at. They were dead last in the NL East. They were 12th in the National League. Offensively, in average runs and home runs, the only one that they were, I guess, maybe average, still slightly below average, was home runs. They finished third in the East and 11th in the NL. That's not any good. And in average and runs, dead last in the division, 14th, 15th in the NL. Yeah, so there's a lot of room for improvement. I think if you can cut those to where if you're just like around ninth for all of those, that would be my goal for the not all of those, obviously. But if you can climb up a few spots in some of those uh, in the National League and hover around third, I would love to finish third in the, in the East that's, this year. Like I think, that's my I think goal. That's a reasonable goal, I, and I think it's. Reasonable. I don't. I don't know that it'll happen, but I think it's reasonable to think they could finish. At, you know, I'm going just for, under 500 and in third place. I was going to say 76 and 86. Okay, yeah. So that's not bad. I'll say 76 and 86, third in NL East. I think they. I'll say 80 and 82. I'll I mean, I'm really say they're, happy with that. I'll say they're Although right then I'd there. I'd be like, oh, they're I one know. game away from 500. I know. I know. That's why I think it's going to happen. So, I mean, I, you know, saying we're guaranteeing they're going to miss the playoffs, that they're not going to hit 500, it sounds like we're being pessimistic or going to expect another disappointing oh, I season. I think that's but a huge turn. But if you see improvement, that's all we really right. want. Because they are, they, in some areas, I mean, they got some veterans that they brought in, but in a lot of key areas, they're also very young, so... Right, and that's the thing to remember. They were always going to be a few years away. Last year was supposed to be the first significant rebuilding year. And it was. Now that Howard moved on, now you're like completely at yep. that point. So this is really only the second year or maybe even year 1B of that. Right. So hope to see improvement. Look towards 2018, 2019. Like, that's the way it works. That's what happened when the Phillies were really good from 07 through 11. You know, and even leaving up to that, those years before that, from like remember it 04, was, 05, 06, they were the race to 500. Yeah, they were the trying to get there and, and just push towards that wild card spot. They broke through in 07, then we know what happened in 08, and then even 9, 10, and 11. Like, you could see the downward trend coming, which was disappointing, but they got there, they did it. It takes time. Both Justin, I think, third, you know, five to nine game improvement, which is the movement in the right direction. Howard's gone, Hernandez is gone. Burgos is gone. Ellis, Harrison, Buchanan, Ashy, who I didn't even realize he was gone. Yeah. Uh, they decided not to bring him back. I completely missed that one. Um, but they added some pitching. Um, you know, the, the, some of these guys may not even make uh, the, the forty-man roster ahead of Darren training camp. Ruff is playing on the other side of the ocean now too. Like he's not. Well, I saw like a lot of guys signed in Japan. Yeah. Uh, Pat Neshek, Joaquin Benoit, Daniel Nava, outfielder Sean Burnett. Uh, Michael Saunders and outfielder Chris Coglin, who just won a Super Bowl, a World Series with the Cubs. The biggest name acquired via trade was Clay Buckholtz. He's now, I would assume, probably the number one on the staff. Uh, he's the premier guy. He's won the World Series. He's pitched some big games. Has had his moments, uh, both up and down. But he's uh, now the the go to guy. I'm assuming probably will get this nod on opening day. Yeah, I don't really know how that'll all work out. I think spring training will probably be a big 
Yeah, we're still. I mean, we're still what seven weeks from opening day, something yeah. like that. I think it's six. Six weeks. Six, okay. Yeah. I know a lot of the previews are going to be coming out over the next month, so right. we'll obviously do a Phillies and baseball preview probably near the end of March or very early April, right as the season gets started. But this is just a little taste um, because both our dads asked, you know, what's going on with the Phillies. So we think a little bit better next year. Don't expect playoffs. Hope for improvement from your youngsters and just see some of these short-term deals for veteran players pay off in the long run. Yep. Okay. So thanks to uh, my dad for writing in his questions. Hopefully we answer them to the best of our ability. We'll finish up here with some talk of college sports. Uh, first up is wrestling, college wrestling. We don't talk about it often. Usually it's mentioning how well Penn State has done. And that's what we're and going to do. that's pretty again. much it. But we're actually going to go in-depth here and talk about um, the biggest dual match of the year that your dad points out was today. He asked for predictions, but we're on after the event. Yeah. So we're going to actually recap it. And as you can tell from us, the lead in here, Justin mentioned talking about how great Penn State does well. It happened again today and the biggest match of the year. Uh, now, next month, we're going to see the national championship um, individuals and team event happen, which Penn State has won five of the last six years. I think four of the last five. Four of the last five. I'm not okay. 100% sure. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's happened so often that they start to run together. Yeah, yeah, you know, kind of so like good. the women's volleyball for a number right, of years. Happened. It was like six out of eight or something like that. Which, by the way, just put a little salt in your wounds here. Um, UConn women are closing uh, in on it. the Penn stop. State women's stop, volleyball stop, stop, record. Stop. So, um, and I think it's 109 was that record for the Penn State women's volleyball. Stop anyway, uh, today was the dual championship. So for those that don't watch uh, or aren't that big into wrestling, duels are when you have one team and the entire team go against the other entire team. Obviously not at once. That would be chaos. But... <laughs> um, you kind of just go straight through. That's not how the national championship works. That's how that's, you know, every team gets as many wrestlers in, you know, that qualify. And then you kind of get points for how many guys you have place at different uh, levels, obviously more points for a first place. This is just straight up one team versus another team. It is relatively new in, in, uh, in college wrestling. Um, and Penn state traveled to Oklahoma state, uh, and Oklahoma State is the number one, depending on the rankings, including the ones that were decide, you know, determined them the number one seed here. Um, and Penn State's number two, and it, it got off to a rocky start. There was an injury in the first one, um, and uh, freshman uh, Nick Seriano for Penn State, who's been doing really well, uh, got injured and couldn't finish. So that counts. That's six points for Oklahoma State. Um, they followed that up by a major decision over George Carpenter, another freshman for Penn State. And then Jimmy Gulliban, who has been up and down for Penn State a lot, um, looked to have uh, Dean Heal um, pinned twice, and neither one got called. Yeah, that's or even back points for that. Like, really, yeah, there were a lot that. of questions about that. And Gulliban loses three two. So three matches in one twenty five, one thirty three, and one forty one. Penn State's down thirteen nothing. Um, the good news is Penn State didn't lose another one the rest of the uh, match. They won the next seven bouts, um, kind of highlighted by uh, Zane Rutherford winning 2-1, to one, which is crazy. And then uh, Jason Nolf, uh getting a tech fall. Um, other ones of note, uh, Mark Hall, 
who they burned his red shirt just maybe a month ago. Uh, they, and at the time, the announcer said this is purely a move for national championships because otherwise they would have burned it a lot earlier and let him work. But I um, mean, he lost that opener, but has done really stellar since then. And Bo Nickel is amazing. Like even if you don't know anything about wrestling, if you watch Bo Nickel highlights. Um, you know, I was telling you before the show about how he pinned a guy when he was actually like on on bottom. Um, this one he pinned his guy in 38 seconds, just absolutely insane. And Matt McCutcheon uh, clinched it uh, with his four three decision when he got a takedown late in the third. Yeah, so. Nick Neville's at heavyweight 285 put on the uh, exclamation point. So Penn State comes from 13 down to win 27 to 13. Penn State obviously will be number one in all the rankings now. I think next up, do they have a Big Ten? There, there's a titles. Big Ten, but it's not dual, so it's run like the national. So, like all your guys, so Penn get State in qualifiers. Which will all of these guys qualify? Um, probably. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Um, and, I don't know uh, about George Carpenter. Um, but I imagine he will probably get in. Um, it'll be interesting to see Nick Seriano. Don't what they have wild cards at each weight they do, as well? They do. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if all these guys get in. Um, but again, what you need is you need all your guys to get far. And what matters, is even if they lose, you need them to keep winning in their consolations to get those third places. Like get the third place, get the fifth place, like not the, not to lose your last bout. Cause every time you can win, if you can get like seventh instead of eighth, like that's good. You know, like those things matter when it comes to team points in these big, uh, team tournaments later on. So, um, you know, I encourage you to follow along. They don't have any more home dual meets this year, but if you get the chance to watch Penn state wrestling, it's, it's incredible. It's really intense, um, which is a lot of fun, but, um, and I think, like there might only be like one or two seniors actually that wrestle they, like yeah. that are in the starting lineup. Right, for they are a young team, it's which is just absurd. absolutely crazy. Uh, now this was at Oklahoma State, and their attendance over over fourteen thousand was a new record. Right, and I believe they Penn State set a record when they wrestled at at Iowa this year, and um, uh, in their um, Carver Hawkeye Arena. They, I believe they set the record at Ohio State when they wrestled there in the Value City Arena. And I don't know that they set the record, but they wrestled uh, Lehigh early in the season at uh, the Bryce Jordan Center, and they sold that out too. So all four times they've wrestled in the big arenas at schools, they've sold out this year. The team title is coming up here. Oh, it is five less. <laughs> wow. In, um, this year it's in St. Louis, Missouri at the Scott Trade Center. I don't know if I have dates here. Let's see if it says. It's usually like. It's usually early March, isn't it? Right, I think it's right usually before like, Selection Sunday? I feel like it it's. I feel like it's the first weekend of the tournament, usually. Okay. Like that Sunday. So it's like, it'll be like March 19th yeah. or something like that. So mid March, look for the team titles, and we'll be sure to mention it on the show what's going on. But prior to Kale Sanderson coming to Penn State, the Nittany Line wrestling team had won one national title way back in 1953 since he came i believe in was it 2010 or 2011 I think it was like 2010 okay so he joined the program in 2010 all he did was win four titles in a row from 2011 through 2014 then they succumbed in 2015 to unfortunately ohio state right before rebounding this past year a year ago, 2016, winning the team title. So they've won five of the last six and will look yeah. to make it six of the last seven. And they're in perfect position to do that this year 
and in the years to come. Yeah, and to put it in perspective, like Oklahoma State, some people might be like, that's kind of random. Um, Oklahoma State has 34 national titles, Correct. team titles in, in wrestling. So right. they are... They're know, the gold standard. They're the Alabama or yeah. the Michigan, Ohio State. You know, they're the the team. Though it's been a little bit since they've won, but them in Iowa at well, twenty three. The biggest thing about today, not only was it one, there's two meeting is Penn State beat Oklahoma State last year yeah. in the team title, and I believe they also beat them in this dual championship last year as well. Yeah, Penn State hasn't lost a dual match. Since in two years, it was mid February 2015. <coughs> so the Penn State wrestling team is absolutely stellar. Uh, and I'm telling you, in a in a packed rec hall, I'm sure it's awesome in the big arenas, but in a packed rec hall, rec hall, it's not. There's nothing like it. It's it's crazy. Penn State has beaten Oklahoma State twice in the championships during this this renaissance that the Nittany Lion wrestling program has gone through since um, their first appearance in 2011. Which was in Philadelphia, which would have been cool to see. Yeah, I know. Um, and then they were in Madison Square Garden last year. Now it's in Cleveland, Ohio next year. There you I go. know. Road I, trip. I, I actually, trip. the wheels are turning already. Uh, and Penn State had um, David Taylor win <clears throat> um, the, I guess, is that considered the individual or most yeah. outstanding wrestler, yep. the best wrestler. David Taylor won that twice, two out of three years also, in 2012 and 2014. This past week, he also knocked off um, uh, the reigning Olympic champion in, in a tournament. So Excellent. He's still doing well post-Penn State career. So Penn State looks to get um, their second back-to-back championship. Uh, well, I mean, really, if you count the third and the fourth in a mm-hmm. row. Um, but Penn State looks to make it back-to-back in about a month in St. Louis, Missouri, and Oklahoma State will probably be the team that they'll have to uh, overcome. I mean, they don't yeah. directly play them, and there might be matchups no. between right. Penn State and right. Oklahoma and State wrestlers. That's where it's crazy. Like, <clears throat> it sounds weird, but, like, you you need to win, and you need other guys to, like, lose those those close ones, so... It's kind of crazy how it comes out because you, you get these guys who like, you know, like Cornell will have a guy who's I'm, I think they have a guy who hasn't lost in a couple of years at one of the upper weight classes. So that's going to be crazy because I don't know if it's going to be Nickel or McCutcheon or someone like that's going to have to go against him. So, right. Yeah, that, that's a wild card that you don't get in a lot of other sports. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So a month from now, we'll make sure that we uh, let you know how Penn State wrestling fared. OK, and the last thing is a question from your dad was how many big 10 teams will make the ncaa men's basketball tournament now just this year the ncaa selection committee decided to debut a bracket preview where last weekend they showed where their top 16 would be right at this moment not a single big 10 team was in the top 16 yeah which kind of surprised some people yeah there were teams in the top like 10 so um wisconsin i believe probably among those the biggest slight um wisconsin and purdue and maryland are pretty much locks i'd say to make the tournament um wisconsin and now going by bracketology from espn wisconsin predicted to be a five along with purdue maryland a six Uh, i'd say very likely to make it i hope and this is a big one Uh, yeah northwestern as a seven but the big thing to note here it would be their first ever birth into the ncaa tournament yeah yeah Michigan State, obviously very well known in the most recent bracketology. They were a 10 seed because of the way they play in the playoffs. They might make a run in the Big Ten tournament. They're 
I'd say very likely to make it. And, you know, Izzo has a reputation there. The team has a reputation. I think they're very likely on the bubble, but probably more likely than not, Minnesota. Bracketology had them at a 7. They haven't been there since 2013, and they haven't been to a Sweet 16 since 1997. Uh, Michigan is the other Big Ten team to watch out for. Uh, There's a potential for them to make it into the field as well. So if you're keeping track, that's seven teams that are possibilities from the Big Ten to make the NCAA tournament. I think they get at least five. Yeah, I think they get six. You think one of those, you think think, Michigan's on the outside looking in? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, Actually, are you going to go with Minnesota? I think Minnesota's going to end up on the outside. I think Michigan's going to end up getting in. The the Big Ten hasn't won the tourney since, well, if you consider the way the Big Ten's comprised now, technically Maryland in 2002. But they weren't a member of the Big Ten in 2002, so it actually was Michigan State and Tom Izzo and his Spartans way back in 2000. And since Maryland beat Indiana in 2002, the Big Ten is 0-5 so in the So does that count as a win and a right. loss now yeah. for the Big Ten? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Two Big Ten t- teams playing against each other. You know, asterisk. In 2005, North Carolina beat Illinois. Two years later, Florida beat Ohio State, and everyone went nuts because that also happened in football. 2009, North Carolina beat Michigan State. Four years later, 2013, Louisville over Michigan. And finally, just two years ago, Duke over Wisconsin. I think the interesting thing here is that none of those teams were duplicates. Right. <laughs> they were all a different Big Ten team representing the conference in the title game. Now, there the, the seems to be that in odd number of years, a Big Ten team makes the championship game. There was a four-year gap from 09 to 13. I'm going to guess there's going to be a four-year gap in this cycle as well because I don't know that – any of the teams from the Big Ten are good enough to make the championship this yeah, year? I don't know. Maybe I would honestly, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Maryland has the best chance. I know they're not necessarily the highest right now, but I just think they may have the best makeup to actually get there. Yeah, and so. I, I saw an article on uh, one of my favorite sites, Deadspin, about how Northwestern pretty much locked up a spot, even though they started to fall down a little bit recently. They started out really hot. They will win their first round game, they're saying, and they'll give the next round and the next opponent who would probably be what if they finish as a seven, they'd be playing. They'd beat a nine. They'd beat a no. no they beat a ten. ten. They'd beat a ten, which would mean they'd be playing what a two. Yeah, probably. So they're gonna play probably a two or a three, depending two. I guess one, two, or three. If they're a six, seven, eight. And they say that they'll probably give those teams that they match up with a run because they play a type of defense that could shut down some of these other teams. Yeah. So I don't know if you've seen a video of Doug Collins watching his son coach Northwestern. Um, it's hilarious. The The game the other night was kind of a, a painful way to watch your team. And they actually won, but they, they gave the other team a few chances to come back and win. But, yeah, I hope Northwestern makes it. Big Ten school, I mean – I. In basketball, I don't really feel like I'm rooting against Penn State when I hope other teams do well. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Penn State, you know, we thought they Actually, were getting close a few years ago. They're they a little just... more middle of the pack in the Big Ten this year than than they have been. So that's a good I, thing. Well, how crazy would it be for them to just run the table now, win, win the, the rest Ten, of their games, and then, and then win the and Big that Ten tournament? that destroys it for some people because then that means there's a that, team who that would, would make it that isn't Absolutely make it. not knock Michigan out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey. 
We can always cheer for that. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it, actually. Absolutely. So I think that wraps up the show. Uh, great way to celebrate six years. We love answering questions from our listeners. Uh, if you have anything you want to send to us, make sure you email us at jomazeandjraf at gmail.com. There's a bunch of other ways to contact us, which we'll go over here momentarily. Uh, next episode, we'll do show 224 uh, next Sunday, the 26th of February. Don't have a topic, though, so if anyone wants to hear anything, let us know. If not, we'll probably start to dive into maybe our a rankings episode, a best of type. Sounds good. That sounds like something we should tackle. Uh, may or may not be football related. Let us know what you want us to hear. For more of us, check out jmnjrradio.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at jmnjr underscore radio, at Joe Mays and jraf, at jmflyer1454, and at mr underscore rafout. Rafout. Raff off. Way to go. Six years. <laughs> and I messed it up. Didn't stick the landing on that one. A uh, big shout out to Penn State Dance Marathon, affectionately known as Thon, raised over $10 million in the 2016-17 uh, cycle here. Uh, a bounce up over last year. Broke into the, the, the $10 million plus mark again. And it, it's a, a wonderful experience, a wonderful event. And it does so much good in the community and for the families and the children affected by uh, childhood cancer. So congratulations to everyone involved in that. Another job well done for sure. Yeah, I mentioned my uncle's birthday and the sandwich shop's anniversary. Anything from uh, your side? My sister celebrated her birthday this week. A big one, too. Yeah, big 3-0. Went, and went to Disney World. Yeah, man. So still a little kid at heart, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I wouldn't. That's that's a great way to celebrate. I, I can't right. falter for that whatsoever. Anything else from you? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, then I think this wraps up the 223rd episode of the Joe Mays and J-Raff Show. We hope you tune in every Sunday for our take on sports. Until next time, I'm J-Raff. And I'm Joe Mays. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Joe Mays and J-Raff Show. Tune in every Sunday for the latest sports discussions from Joe and Justin. Each episode is available live on Facebook Live and can be downloaded or streamed on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can interact with Joe and Justin on Facebook and Twitter. And stay up to date with the guys at JoeMaysAndJRAF.com. The Joe Mays and JRAF Show is part of the JMNJR Radio Network. For more info, visit JMNJRRadio.com.